The Whistler Podcast. Candid conversations about everything Whistler with host Bear Jack Cronton. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Whistler Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I am Mayor Jack Crompton. I want to first acknowledge that we live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Lilwat Nation and the Squamish Nation. I also want to thank Mountain FM for hosting us here in their Whistler Village studio. Today, uh, we have the privilege of chatting with Executive Director and Curator of the Whistler Museum and Archives Society, Brad Nichols, and our Events and Community Manager, Alan Pringle. Thank you guys for joining me here. Thank you for having us. It's good to uh, chat. I'm looking forward to, uh, at the end, talking about the Legends of Whistler event and um, the stories that were told. And uh, it was such a wonderful uh, thing to participate on. And I just want to thank you guys for that. I thought you did a wonderful job putting it on. And I think you did a wonderful job uh, hosting. <laughs> Aren't we all wonderful? <laughs> um, so I, I want to start by asking you, why Whistler? Why do you live here? Why is uh, Whistler home? Uh, what makes you love this place and stay? You want to start, Brad? Yeah. Uh, I ended up in Whistler. Um, I did uh, Heritage Resources in University, and I kind of worked at museums across Canada. And uh, uh, my partner, Jeanette Bruce, who actually works at the Whistler Public Library, was uh, doing a master's at SFU. And I have... Uh, first cousin that lives in Whistler, who works for the Housing Authority, and uh, I decided to come out and do an internship out here, and then I happened to like biking and skiing a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of stayed, but uh, I'm originally from uh, Newfoundland, so I kind of made my way across the country. And did Jeanette, was Jeanette doing school at SFU while you were living up here? She was, yes. Wow. And then she, we both moved up here in December of 2012. And have you done any, full-time. have you done any schooling in BC or was all your schooling? No, in... all my schooling was uh, back at uh, Memorial University in uh, Newfoundland. Ah. So when you're doing, her- sorry, the degrees Heritage Resources. Her- Heritage Resources. And is that studying archives and, and museums? Or uh, what's the museum word? spaces and like uh, heritage um, places and yeah, and kind of like how museums function and operate and how to to run them essentially. Interesting. And Alan, how did you end up here? It's an interesting story, I think. Hey, it's not that interesting. I didn't really have much to do with it. I was born here. Yes. Um, and then grew up here, left because a lot of people do, and then ended up back here in 2016, 15, one of those years. Yeah. And yeah, did a history degree. So if you're going to live in Whistler and use a history degree, the museum is kind of a nice place to do it. It's true. (laughs) It is a very nice place to do it. So we'll start uh, just talking about some uh, topics that are happening around town and and, uh, then we'll get on to that uh, Legends of Whistler at the end. Um, I want to start by talking about last night at council. We had a full house. We uh, were doing third quarter report on the Community Energy and Climate Action Plan. Um, And there's a lot of interest building in that work and how we respond to the very real challenges that we face with climate. We have, uh, as you probably know, uh, glaciers receding. Uh, We're having longer, hotter summers, although this was a bit of a, a, a good one for us. And this report kind of lays out those actions. Um, and it was a full house, lots of questions and uh, uh, interest in, in, in the work and what's going on. One of the ones that jumped out at me, one of the actions that's exciting is that uh, 
starting sometime before the end of the year, transit will be free for high school students. I think if we can beat Victoria to the punch, we'll be the first community in British Columbia that's doing free transit for high school students. And although it's one small step amongst many that we need to take, I think it's an important one because it gives people tools to take action themselves. Um, in the same way, building Valley Trail connections to Function Junction uh, are, are some small steps towards giving the tools to our community to respond. So um, any, when you're around town talking to people, what's the chatter that you hear about climate and, and, and what the community's doing and what, uh, what are people saying when you chat for, about climate? Uh, well, back to the bus thing, I think that's kind of really important in getting, um, you know, a future generation to kind of get the habits of kind of using public transit and kind of being less reliant on using individual cars to commute back and forth. Uh, I also think Whistler is ahead of the curve for, um, you know, with the Valley Trail that uh, Trevor Root helped design um, in Look the early 1980s. you 1990s. going right back to history <laughs> and, immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell uh, us about Trevor Root. Uh, well... He helped uh, kind of design the um, the Valley Trail that we all know and love today. Uh, yeah, apparently he didn't like walking to the to work along Highway 99, and kind of came up with this idea of implementing the uh, Valley Trail. That you know now we can all cycle and walk, and we don't have to be on the road, and it makes it a lot easier for people to commute and get back and forth throughout all of Whistler. And what was his involvement in town? What was what work was he walking to? Do you know? Uh, he worked for. Er, I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> he worked for the RMOW. Um, I can't remember his position because he had a couple different positions. I can't yeah. remember what his position was at the time. That uh, and if memory serves, the the concept was to put the uh, Valley Trail over top of existing below grade infrastructure. I think was one of the things that he wanted to. So accomplish. when they were developing the Valley Trail, it was about the same time that they were starting to put the sewer lines in. Okay. So part of it was following the right-of-way that the sewers got. Yeah. And then from there, it's gone on to get a lot bigger than just the sewage. Yeah. And it's so neat. We're getting near the end. Like, we're, we're actually patching this thing together. It's like a quilt that I think is almost completed where we'll connect it from uh, South Function Junction all the way up to Emerald, which I think is a crucial tool for um, taking climate action in our community. So yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're able to go down that path of, of free transit. And I, I connected anyway to a lot of the advocacy that's been taking place in our community, marching to Municipal Hall and, 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 and sending letters. And that kind of advocacy changes the way governments do business um, in important ways. So, all right. Uh, also, uh, we're opening some new housing. Uh, what are you guys hearing about housing around town? Is the, it's interesting. I was at the Chamber of Commerce yesterday and every time I go to one of their meetings, housing's the number one issue. Uh, nothing's changed, but it was nice to be able to announce some new housing coming online. Well, I mean, most of what we hear about housing is not incredibly positive. It's a lot of people having trouble finding a place to live. Yeah. Um, especially short term. Yeah. We had trouble getting students this summer because finding a place to live in Whistler for four months is almost impossible. Especially in the summer, it's tough, hey, yeah. on short term. Wow. And did you reach out to businesses that had housing organized already? 
No, uh, we just kind of reached out to kind of our network of people that we knew. But uh, yeah, it, it's the first time this year was the first time that we've had a student that uh, we weren't able to find uh, housing for them. Yeah. yeah, because one of the things I'm hearing is businesses get housing and generally they need it for the winter and then they hold on and it's empty in the summer. And mm -hmm. so the, it's a challenge where uh, I think businesses are stepping up and taking control of the housing challenge that they have. Uh, but then it's a cost that often sits on their books through, through the, the summer. And it would be good to try to uh, move towards some coordination between mm -hmm. uh, businesses and, and groups like yours who have that inverse need in the summer. I know that there's, there's, um, there's room in, in Whistler Black Home Staff Housing as, as well in the summer that sometimes it's, it's empty. So some coordination, I think, would be an interesting conversation to have. And I, I think, too, so I, I really like the idea, I think the mandate's been around for a while, that Whistler having a sense of community and having at least, is it 80% of the workers? Or is the it goal 75? is 75, but we're at 81. Yeah. yeah, to like live in the community and kind of, I mean, a lot of other ski hills, they might have, I think, less 20%, 18% like people that actually live there and then they're all commuting from their respective Squamish or Pemberton. So like the town itself kind of feels empty or mm -hmm. a ghost town. And I think having that and having people live here and that sense of community has really benefited Whistler. I mean, Whistler now is like a mountain bike Mecca and that was all from people going out and cutting trails. And if yeah. the people weren't living here, would we have had the same impact in the cycling world and people coming here for cycling if there wasn't a community of people living here? Yeah, so. and you wouldn't have people like Alan Bourne and Ray coming back to jobs <laughs> that are, are are real jobs in our community, which is, I think, a, a credit to the people who stayed and then to that vision to build housing for the local mm -hmm. community to live and work in. And, and, and that's what's exciting about the launch of 1020 Legacy Way <laughs> and some other housing is that it, that commitment to housing people locally carries on. And it's a huge motivator for me personally that we need to continue to invest in housing and, and not get to the point where we're satisfied with um, the, well, I shouldn't say that. I, 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 in my opinion, this is not something you fix and then it's done. You need to keep your eye on the ball at all times. And that's part of what we've been challenged with in the past. We think we've fixed the housing problem and then we take our eye off the ball and it's very quick to turn. And so I, I'm, I think there's a big uh, need to keep our eye on the ball on housing. Uh, new study tables and privacy booths at the library. Have you heard about this? I've heard about it. <laughs> All right, and they're coming. So that means uh, there's exciting stuff happening there. Um, one other thing I want to chat about is that we, the municipality has launched uh, the Whistler Alert, uh, which is a new mass notification system that goes by text. Uh, you would sign up uh, to be added to the Whistler Alert system so that you know when there's a problem in town, which I think is a, uh, a big tool for us to just stay safe as a community, and I encourage everyone to get involved with that. That sounds better than just checking Whistler Winter. <laughs> Whistler Winter or Whistler Roads is Whistler, Yeah, there's there's lots of good Facebook pages, but probably the Whistler Alert is a better tool. Yeah, somewhat more reliable. Exactly. You are listening to the Whistler Podcast: candid conversations on current events, local government, and everything Whistler. So today we're here to talk about the legends of Whistler. Tell the story, and uh, I 
was so gratified to work with you guys on an event that I thought really celebrated where we've been as a community. Uh, just for people who don't know anything about it, I'll give a little description of what we did. But on a Thursday night, we had um, Eldon Beck, Drew Meredith, Gary Watson, and Jim Moody talk about the birth of the village, how that happened, why that happened, why it's laid out like it is. On Friday night, we talked to Mike Douglas, Peter Alder, Hugh Smythe, and Julia Murray about the mountains, about Whistler and, and Blackcomb, and what we love about them, uh, how they've grown and developed as they have, um, and how to think about skiing in our community I thought was interesting. And then on Saturday morning, we had Isabel McLaurin, Paul Fournier, Joan Richaud, and Stephen Vogler tell stories about art in our community. And I think those three nights really blended because clearly there's no clear line between the village and the mountains or mountains and art. And so it was really neat to hear people bounce off each other day to day. And I, I thank you for it. And I, I want to just hear how you experienced it and what you thought uh, as you sat as an audience member and as an organizer of the event. Uh, well, we had a lot of fun with it once it got going. Um, kind of a blur by yeah. the end of Saturday <laughs> afternoon because we added in the film screening of the spearhead after the speakers and I think we hit about two o'clock on Saturday and realized that we'd actually finish <laughs> which was something yeah but we had a lot of fun yeah it was good and it was great hearing people's stories and oral histories are such an important part of kind of like documenting a community um and something that's funny with oral histories is that you know you get different perspectives on the same same thing, and yeah. they have uh, <laughs> yeah. to, you know who's telling the truth here. What's going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's just it's a really great way to keep people to kind of reflect on their experiences and how, and specifically Whistler, how Whistler shaped them, and how they potentially helped shape Whistler that we know today. And I think having that kind of varied group of people speak, you got a kind of good understanding um, of what the community was like. Uh, Eldon messaged us afterwards, um, and Eldon was the um, the architect who was hired by the municipality in the late 1970s to help design the village. Uh, and he messaged back and he said, it was uh, one of my pleasures of my life to be one of the speakers wow. at this. And he said he felt <laughs> a, a stronger sense and connection to Whistler than he ever had before. Wow. So, well, I think he's come to Whistler a lot, but he doesn't usually get the community coming to talk to him about what the village has meant to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. So he usually sees it from the municipal point of view, not so much the community point of view. Oh. So I think he had a lot. Very oh. great experience. It was so tremendous to have him here, and he and he they showed up to everything, and they yep. they I, I, it was neat to see people sort of like. He's a bit of a rock star. <laughs> Circle around him <laughs> after events and and just tell the stories back to him about um, how they've been impacted by how the village is laid out and the stories they remember about uh, how it's been used. It was, uh, it was neat. Uh, you said oral histories. The word oral histories. Are oral histories um, dealt with differently in the museum world than? documentary history and are they becoming more a part of i i th think a lot of um it's just a, a good way of like kind of documenting people's experiences and in a museum you know it, it is kind of slightly academic and you kind of keep them 
kind of in line of certain things that you kind of want explained that maybe things that we don't understand that we kind of want to get out of them. So you kind of try to, to guide them instead of, because you can't have people that just might rant on and on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, usually you go in with an idea of what they want to, what you want them to kind of speak on. But, uh, yeah. And and so what were you interested in from Eldon's perspective? Um, I mean, because he's done a couple interviews or oral histories with the um, museum over the years. And it's just, um, you know, just it's it's always you could ask him the same question but he could have a different story or a different anecdote or reflecting on it differently than he has before so it's always good to sometimes to to go back to people and i think he's an important part of whistler's story so it's always good to have him yeah. well and i think having him with the other people who were on the stage who came at the village from a very different perspective they weren't so much designing it as actually trying to build it um, it put a different perspective on what he had to say, and it was not just this is what we envisioned, but this is how we did it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really interesting to to hear Jim and Eldon bounce off each other. Jim, who's doing the planning of all of this, and 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 Eldon, who's doing the design side of things, and to hear how they worked together and how it finds itself on the ground. How many years later are we now? We're, when was the... 78, they broke ground officially. Like they constructed years. in 79, years. so... Yeah. And, and and 40 years later, I, I was chatting to Eldon after, he says, it's it's working as I had dreamed, which is <laughs> kind of a neat thing to be able to say. It's working as I dreamed. Um, the next night was ski, and what jumped out at you from that conversation about skiing? I think it was really great um, having the different generations of how people came here and why they came here. Um, I mean, with Julia being kind of born here and then growing up here and how Whistler influenced her to, you know, become a ski racer yeah. and go to the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and were Hugh Smythe, like, you know, coming here first season and working and then the impact that he has had here like you know with black home after moving from whistler mountain and eventually the the peak to peak i mean he tells the past 50 years in his story himself yeah his so, life story is the yeah. 50 years of <laughs> of the ski hill i guess that's what was the most exciting thing for me is that the builders the founders of our community are still here to tell us the stories mm-hmm. and uh like you say hugh's life is the story of Whistler and Blackcomb Mountains in a lot of ways. It's just neat. That's part of why we enjoy doing the oral history so much is because Whistler as a resort is so young that so many of the people who are here at the beginning are still here. Yeah. And they're still able to talk to you about their own experiences. You're not just going after people who came and heard stories from them secondhand. Yeah. And sometimes when you have people in these situations, it could be Legends of Whistler or just sitting around and doing an oral history, it's like sometimes you can ask them a question and they might not have ever reflected on that before. And it's kind of interesting in getting those uh, answers out of them and like how they kind of feel about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, on a Saturday morning, uh, I thought it was such such a neat different setting to sit and hear one person sit in a chair and and recount stories and have Stephen read sections of his book was really cool too um what jumped out at you f- from saturday morning oh 
trying to remember Saturday morning at this point. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, always hearing Isabel speak, because Isabel came here before the idea of building the ski hill and her and her, and her husband, uh, Don, who was a forester, and kind of, um, you know, their experiences before the whole hoopla of yeah. uh, wanting to build uh, a ski hill here and, you know, Sure, saying that like you know they bought their 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 lot for eight hundred dollars and they're like, "Ooh, that's a lot of money." Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> um, you know, and just hearing that and just how different it is from you know when they first came up here. I mean, when they came up, you could get here by train, and I think around fifty eighth Highway ninety nine was you know or, highway would be a stretch. Highway would be a stretch. A kind of uh, logging roads that intersected yeah. each other. You could kind of <laughs> drive up here in about nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, which I think uh, I believe Don did. Or in the late 50s. He has photos of it, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just their experience in that is just totally different. And, you know, her also tying back to knowing a lot of the um, um, the pioneers that were here at the turn of the century, kind of, and Myrtle Phillip, and, you know, Myrtle Phillip, who came here in 1911, first time, and she lived till 1986. 86. So she saw it, took her three days to get here to... yeah being kind of starting to become an international ski destination. Yeah. And like bridging those kind of two uh two two narratives and kind of experiences is uh was neat to her see her hear her reflect on that. Yeah. And P- uh, some of the stories we totally missed like Peter Alder was here in the 40s with BC Electric putting up yeah. um yeah. the They came the through grid. to put the hydro lines in. Yeah. You didn't actually get to access them till the 1960s, but they were here. Yeah, there's so many more stories that those people need to tell us. It's mm-hmm. it's like we could do that every week is have that <laughs> same group of people tell stories and you wouldn't run out. Yeah, the, the dry's not, uh, the well's not dry yet exactly. for uh, Whistler stories. <laughs> true. Uh, speaking of that, do you have any favorite stories of Whistler that, that you uh, have heard told that kind of sit in your brain and your, who you are? Oh, I love mine is I just can't get over Gary Watson telling the story. And I, I, I've told it a couple of times, but uh, Gary was telling me about his first time coming to Whistler, where he parked his car south and hiked up over the back of Whistler Mountain and saw the valley for the first time. And he said, it's a love affair. Mm-hmm. And he was there because in 1961, they were talking about the 1968 Olympics. And I asked him, I said, Gary, this, so this is a Vancouver Whistler bid, just like the 2010 games, which is the way I've always thought about it. And he said, no, it was a, it was a Whistler 1968 Whistler bid. And I said, so you were going to build a hockey rink and a speed skating oval and ski jumps? And he said, yeah, it was preposterous. <laughs> like, and yet, it's the foundation on which this whole world-class ski resort has been built, which is one of the very first people who dreamed the dream thought and thinks that the concept of it was preposterous. <laughs> you know, I just love that story. It's cool. It encourages me to think big thoughts and to, and to dream big dreams, which I think is uh, important for our community. It's what Whistler has been for a long time. I like, too, that it was almost kind of like 50 years of incubating that idea from yeah. them going down to the Squaw Valley Olympics in 1960 to them actually hosting it in 2010. It's almost 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it happened. Yeah, and, it's, it, and it's neat that Gary got to see that whole transition from, Yeah, you know, being the small town with no highway to it to yeah. hosting an international 
the international sporting event. Yeah, yeah. It's small pretty. town might also be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not yes. a small town at that point. No highway, no small town. I mean, these were. It was empty. It was a fishing resort. Yeah, and some logging camps. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Uh, just last thing before we go ahead. Do we, do we have oral histories uh, or does the museum archives or uh, do you know about the Low Water, the Squamish with oral histories of, of the Squamish and the Lilwat here? Uh, we do have some core like um, documents and stuff that have come through the museum from uh, projects that were done through the Royal BC Museum yeah. in the 60s and 70s and kind of like uh, the, the stories about this area. Um, we don't have a lot. We haven't done a lot of oral, like us going out and doing oral histories, but um, and that's something that we would, would love to explore. That, this was tremendous. Thank you. Uh, and the construction of the village um, temporary exhibit you had was terrific. I love seeing those photos of, of Eldon and, and the original designs. Um, it's neat to be able to see and live with that history so i encourage anybody to get into your museum and see get into our museum and see uh, what's there what you're open 11 to 5 every day except thursdays we're open till 9 okay 9 on thursday anything final you want to ask or say well well i mean if you can't come to whistle you can always find us online online <laughs> there are yeah. a lot of photographs that you can see online yeah, in just, in preparing to moderate, I spent a lot of time on the Whistler Museum website. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah, and there's tons of information. It's amazing. Well, I mean, being in where we are with the museum space being fairly limited, it's writing stories. We write a blog and a story every week, so it's a way to kind of transcend our physical space and yeah. to tell those other narratives that might not be in a, in the museum itself. Thanks for coming into the Mountain FM studio. It has been a real pleasure to chat with you both. And thank you again for all the work that you did on the Legends of Whistler. Thanks again. Thank, thank you. you. You've been listening to the Whistler podcast. Candid conversations about everything Whistler. To find out more about the Whistler podcast, visit whistler.ca slash Whistler podcast.